That was Art Rocker. And this is The Bike Show here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Listening to Resonance FM and the sounds of Bernard Purdy. I think this is the kind of music that that Bradley Wiggins um, must have had on his race radio this last week in the Dauphiné Libre. Bradley, well done. You did a great thing. And let's look forward to more greatness from uh, the modster, the sideburn sporting man of the uh, the British national peloton riding for Sky in the Tour de France. The month of June is seeing a veritable galaxy of stars coming here on the bike show. Last week it was David Miller, and this week we're going to be hearing from Chris Boardman, former Olympic gold medal hero on the track, world record holder, and king of the Tour de France prologue discipline. Certainly in the 1990s, he was the king of that. Well, Chris will now often be heard commenting on television, on professional road racing. But it probably hasn't escaped your notice if you've been riding around the streets and roads and lanes and byways of the UK that Chris is flogging his own line of bicycles these days. Road racing machines, mountain bikes, cyclocross and of course the ubiquitous urban hybrid. Well, at the launch of the... 2011 Boardman range I had a brief chat with the man himself and asked him what it was that had changed in bicycle technology in the days since he was racing a bike to earn a living. There's a huge understanding now in in bikes it's a real progression first of all in materials I mean the arrival of carbon fibre which I guess that (laughs) was kind of partially responsible for that not certainly not for the construction but for for the notoriety in 92 um, with, with the Lotus bike um, didn't really take hold in the pro peloton, which leads public opinion until '94. Um, then it was we used a Lotus bike at the Tour de France, and then suddenly everyone was scrabbling around for the stuff. Um, it's a, just a wonderful material, and you can make it do so many things if you if you understand it. Um, and, and it's I think that's probably the biggest biggest step forward. And understanding of aerodynamics and its role in the sport and how it just how important it is. I think that's come on leaps and bounds, and that's been led by the British team and, um, and and a lot of their performances because as soon as somebody succeeds, everybody wants to examine why they succeeded. Um, so that's the materials really and just general understanding of, of aerodynamics and you know the fact that it's 80% of the resistance that you need, to, the power you produce is to overcome air resistance. So I think that's the two biggest areas. The bike racing, professional bike racing, has always been linked to selling bikes mm. from the very beginnings of the Tour de France. What's bike racing mean to Boardman bikes? Well, it's certainly my own background, where I came from. I think it's a great testing ground to push things to the limit and see, you know, 
actually what is possible. I've been heavily involved in that over the years. Then I've got involved with, with uh, running the R&D programme for the British cycling team. So uh, genuinely no holds barred, doesn't need to be marketable, just about performance research, which is you know, a fascinating, fascinating big chunk of time. The information itself is utterly, completely belongs to the British team and it cannot be touched. So I can't talk about any of that stuff. But what I do learn, um, did learn through that process, is I know who are the right people to work with, what are the right tools to use to go exploring, uh, what are the bits, that, what the areas to look at that are important. So there's a lot of experience and, and that's been able to bring that back to my own company uh, and that's been great fun. So a lot of people remember Chris Boardman with his epic battles against Graham Obrey in the 90s. And Graham is of course famous for building his own bikes and incorporating bits of washing machines, whereas you were teaming up with high-tech designers and Lotus. Do you know what to do with an oxyacetylene torch? No, I don't. Um, I think Graham was just one of the... He, he actually revolutionised the world of pursuit cycling twice because he just didn't think the same as other people. He looked at the fun, he, actually he looked at the fundamentals of the event rather than what a cycle bicycle has to look like. He wasn't blinkered by by tradition, um, and by doing that, you know, he, he was able to to use the cliche think outside the box. Um, where it didn't work so well is when that was the only thing you know didn't always embrace the traditions that were there for a reason. So you know, balancing it, but massive admiration for for uh, for what he did, and and that thought process is something I came to really value when I worked with an R&D team. In fact, it was one of, the, one of the drivers that meant that I used to take a team approach to doing things and value, um, value people asking daft questions because the daft questions that made you think about things that you, you wouldn't go there because cyclists don't do that. Um, so massively influential character. So is that kind of thinking what you bring to the company? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a recognised that the danger in experts and I'm, I'm one of the experts in a lot of areas. So I value, I mean, we go and work with lots of different companies. So I go and work with McLaren or once we went to sit down with McLaren and we were explaining one of the events to them and they said, well, why do you do it like that? And I can't even tell you the aspect because it led to such important things. Um, and we said, uh, I don't know really. But only because they knew nothing about cycling and knew a lot about aerodynamics did they ask what you know could be seen as a daft question. It started off a whole train of thinking. So... I think um, it's really important to make sure that you've constantly got people in there who don't know all about what you do. And that's probably where your biggest innovations are going to come from. Are there developments in the bikes in the room out there that you've shown us this evening that are genuinely new, genuinely different, things that wouldn't be found on any other bikes? Well, we've um, we worked with, with, with uh, one company who does computational fluid dynamics, so aerodynamic modelling in a computer. Uh, and I know from my own background that that works, and I've then taken those experiments and, and taken them to a wind tunnel and onto a track and seen that that's validated the tool at the start, that that actually tells me the truth. So a lot of the spikes out there were developed using that, those methods, some of the aerodynamic shapes, because I know that they worked. Those people who I would not have met them they have nothing to do with cycling. They don't know anything about cycling. They understand aerodynamics, and they're from um, a Formula One background. So, yes, those elements are in those bikes out there. And the bikes all sport a Union Jack flag sticker on them, and you're British, and it's a British company, but yeah. they're not made in Britain. What yeah. are the 
British bits of the company that you can identify? Production in this country now is, is massively challenging. Um, we've looked at it several times. And the costs the consumer just would not carry. So all of those bikes are conceived in the UK. The design work is done in the UK. They're tested, physically tested in the UK. Uh, and the people who came up with those ideas are from the UK. So there's a huge chunk of it. Our identity, we see it as being British. Where we go to manufacture it, we have to be led by market forces. And most of your customers are in the UK because you're selling through Halfords. What is different about the UK market? What kind of cyclists are British cyclists compared to cyclists in the US, France, Brazil, Japan? That's a tough question. Um, and not one I'm necessarily qualified to answer, to be honest. Um, but people want different things. I mean, if you go to Italy, then the aesthetics is, is more important to them than, than perhaps the absolute out-and-out performance of the product. So aesthetics would have to be, you know, it's got to be really carefully addressed. In America, they want superb service when they, when they go and buy a product. And the service is super important. And it'll influence what product they buy. Um, and in the UK, uh, price is a big deal for people. You know, people want absolute value for money. They're not used to getting you know, a, a great service. We try and give them that as well. But we know that their focus is price, um, and that's, you know, that's a key driver for them. Um, so we have to be careful to make sure that we get the product that we haven't compromised on to them through a route that gets them the best price. Well, I noticed also that your cross bike takes mud guards and probably a rack for a spot of light touring. Is that the British touch? Uh, definitely the, the British market needs to be able to cope with rain, that's for sure. Um, and we haven't, uh, we haven't missed that particular one. Um, yeah, there's a certain versatility in a lot of the bikes. Uh, the higher up the range you go, the more specialist the bikes become. Um, but there's no reason why you know, a high-performance cross bike, um, it doesn't hurt the performance to have some small threads on there that can take a mudguard to make it versatile. So where we can add versatility, we do. And the fad in cycling that won't die is, of course, the fixed wheel. There's no fixed wheels in that room over there, but my sources tell me that you may have one in the range. Is that right? We've had one in the range, and we'll, we'll be having, we have another one. Uh, no, it's not out there yet, because this is really hot off the press. So there's a couple of details still not out there. Um, I watch, I mean, I enjoy walking around London, and I see the different, different people, and they've all made their own machines, and it's fascinating. And I've got a background in fixed wheel as well, so we'll always be interested in that. And will you make a proper track bike as well as a urban assault vehicle or whatever it's going to be branded as? Oh, I'd have to say, watch this space, but you won't have to watch it long. That was Chris Boardman um, of Boardman Bikes, obviously, and his bikes do seem to offer pretty exceptional value for money if you are after a shiny new carbon or aluminium confection. And, of course, if you don't mind looking the other way as you walk through Halfords past the car stereos and um, tubs of Castrol GTX, um, that's where you can find them. Chris was speaking there about computer-simulated fluid dynamics and all kinds of futuristic high-tech innovation. But for me, one of the most beautiful things about the bicycle is that it's a piece of technology, a, one of the dwindling numbers of machines or bits of technology, that it's possible for the user, without really any spe special training, to understand and to understand fully how it works. And to fix it when it goes wrong. And it's to fixing that we now turn, as there are a growing number of volunteer and community bicycle workshop projects sprouting up around the country. On a warm early summer evening, 
couple of weeks ago, I went down to my own local community bicycle workshop, uh, not far from the Elephant and Castle, just off the Walworth Road, to find out more. My name's Seb. I've been volunteering in the bike space for about four years. Um, I mean, the first part of the 56A was the first year as the food co-op, and that was about 20 years ago when they squatted it, um, when the Pullens was occupied. And then they sort of formed the InfoShop, which is in the same complex. And people from the InfoShop used to help uh, do up bikes for for locals to borrow. And so they started this bike library about 15 years ago. And then they'd get a lot of kids coming to get, you know, to get their bikes fixed because they had the tools and spare parts here. So then the, you know, the need grew for more people to just do that. So um, yeah, then bike space was kind of created, kind of gradually, and yeah, it's changed a lot even in the last four or five years. So there's a separate crew of volunteers just doing, you know, helping people with bikes. Uh, while the info shop's open. So what's the idea? You come here when your bike's not working and... Yeah. Uh, you can get help to fix your bike um, with the tools and spare parts that, that are here. Most of the parts are either you know, small parts to repair other parts or things you can't... You have to kind of buy new, like bearings, cables, um, brake pads and inner tubes. Uh, the rest of it's donated, uh, used parts, and um, yeah, we've got a, a growing, sort of, quite comprehensive now set of tools to do. We can do most things, I think. Um, and so people are learning as they're fixing their own bikes. Is it rather than coming here to get your bike fixed for free? We just try and make sure people realise that we're not we're not a bike shop, and and yeah, the, the point is the, the, this is phrase has been used which is a hands-off teaching, which is the way we'd like people to learn how to maintain their bikes. It's quite difficult when it's busy because there's a temptation to get involved to get as many people seen to as possible, but it's, I think long-term it's more fruitful to, yeah, to be patient and just work through the problems with the, with the people and their bikes. So it's about a dozen people around at the minute yeah yeah it's it's not it, it can get a lot busier like especially as we get into the summer we try to have a minimum of two shift workers each time we're open um, ideally we'd have more and sometimes like today there's a couple extra who just come in so I think most volunteers do about one or two days a week but um, it varies like some people have more time than others but um, we're open 16 hours a week, which is quite a lot for a project like this. Hello. Now tell me what's going on here. Whose bicycle is this? It's my bike and I was fixing it because one of my um, pedals were, were broken and um, I, I got it put back on and I'm helping the, 
the bike fixes to build to fix my bike. And you're helping as well, are you helping hold the bike? Have you got a bike here? No, no. Th this is my bike, but we're going to try it out. She's going to try it and I'm going to ride it. Because na her name is um, Gwen. Gwen and my name is Tia. Well, good luck with the repair. How's it going? <laughs> it's great, yeah, they're, they're really helping out, so we're getting there. I think it's complete the job now. My name's Tim, I'm one of the volunteers at the 56A Bike Room. Um, How long have you been involved with this project? Too long, Jack, today, too long. About seven years altogether, I think, so, but we've, the place itself has been open for about 15 years altogether. I guess the basic ethos is that we can all retire early because everyone who's come here has learned how to fix their own bikes, but obviously that's work in progress. But, you know, the overall idea is that it's kind of doing things together and um, people do as much for themselves as possible and hopefully learn some stuff through doing that and then ultimately we can sit back, relax and people just come and do things for themselves. Obviously we're quite limited for space indoors and so we have to do um, most of the work outside. Uh, if anyone's got a butcher's blind at home that they'd like to donate to us, that'd be amazing because then we could work undercover if it rains. Um, so basically we've got the tools hanging on boards which we hang outside and we've got a little table uh, attached to the wall of the building here which we put uh, all the rest of the bits and bobs on and people work around the table is the idea but sometimes well, you can see today we're pretty busy today and uh, so sometimes we're lacking in the space to work comfortably so it's not an ideal working environment but it works. And where have the tools and parts come from? I mean we work on donations um, so basically uh, as and when we need new bits we hopefully have enough money to get them and from over the years um, Crikey, a variety of, of sources. I don't know where the initial body of tools came from, to be honest, and we've just added to them over time. What do you really need? What's number one on the wish list? <laughs> 15 millimeter spanners. Um, <laughs> uh, what are the common things that go missing? That's probably... Uh, our cable cutters are a little bit knackered at the moment, so, um, yeah, a decent pair of cable cutters. Um, I think they're the two main things at the moment. People come obviously with all kinds of mechanical problems with their bikes, but what are the most common things that people are coming with and what are the most common skills that people are going away with having learnt by teaching themselves under your uh, supervision? Well, I guess the most common thing is, is punctures, so hopefully most of the kids who come here now know how to fix a puncture. Changing cables, you know, the most, the most common things, brake pads, things like that, so um, yeah, I think most of the kids who come here regularly have got a fairly good idea how to do those things and yeah the more advanced stuff is kind of difficult because it, of course it only comes with practice and that's the stuff that you probably don't have to do as often really um, and we'd really like to offer I guess more training. So if people want to help out with their local community bike workshop project how can they help? I mean I would say probably the skill level that would be really helpful for us is 
sort of up to and including replacing gear cables and adjusting gears and things like that because I guess they're the most common things that we're going to have to do and unfortunately we don't have the time to sort of do hands-on teaching ourselves and it's really really difficult to try and pick things up uh, because we're so busy at the moment um, so that kind of skill level would be amazing um, yeah and there'd Which be plenty is not for people actually to do. beyond most regular cyclists who look after their own machines would be able to do that so it's not like you're looking for fully paid up trained mechanics no, absolutely not I mean it's just uh, an enthusiasm and sort of willingness to teach other people how to do things which just takes much more kind of patience sometimes and time you know obviously it's much easier to do it do it yourself isn't it and just get on with it yourself and um, so it does take a certain degree of passion and uh, and stuff to to want to work younger people well a whole spectrum of people really and to try and get them involved and enthusiastic about doing stuff for themselves do you want to tell me what you're doing over here um i found a bike and uh it had no brakes and no chain and no gears and now so you found half a bike i found a very beautiful frame with very gorgeous wheels and fabulous handlebars and uh it eventually will be a bike <laughs> So what stage are you at now? Um, I'm you're trying doing something to find with a it, chain. Very dirty with a chain. Oh, you're trying to find a chain. I'm trying to find a chain that matches my uh, spokes here. Oh, the chain rings. Oh, what, in terms of length or in terms of the width of the chain? Um, I'm trying to find a chain that's not going to skip. So I'm trying to find one that's more or less worn as much as my back wheel is worn. I don't know. I'm trying to make the the chain links fit and not be off. I also have to do some other bits and ends. I'll probably have to come back and line up the wheels and maybe get a front changer, front gear changer. Right now we have the back one and we're not going to get a front one today. So hopefully I'll be able to ride it home. And well, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> So I spy here, is that a, that's a lovely three-speed Thermi Archer, is it? Almost, yes, almost. It is. Or is it a pixel? It is, isn't it? Is it? No, it's a, it's a sash. Oh, yeah. No, but yeah. it's three-speed, though. But it's, yeah, it's the, um, it's the German mob. It is, yeah. 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 Quite a... I want to get that watch from the other side, no? Well, no, because the gap's on the inside of the frame, not the outside. So I do have to take the whole thing off, then. That would be my... Well, I didn't spaz out. I was actually on the right track. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I said what you said you didn't do. So what have you been doing on this bike? This bike is like a long-term um, um, resident slash, I don't know, of 56A. I just have to constantly come down with it because it's quite old and it's always um, breaking down. So today we've been, we took apart the inner hub here, um, took the whole thing apart, cleaned oh, it out. That's quite uh Undertaking. It looked like the inside of like a plane engine or something. It was bizarre. So it was like a whole other world in there. Yeah. We got lost in it. So it's working, is it? They all went back it's, together. It all went back kind of. Didn't end up with a odd piece no, after you'd sealed the thing. Uh, no, Where no, did yeah. that supposed and to go? It purred. It purred. We spun it around. It went. <laughs> it's quite happy. Yeah, I think it's going to be okay. I'm slightly worried about like cycling halfway home and just it breaking apart on them. 
roundabout or something. Well, uh, it's been in this world for probably 40 years. So I think quite a long time, yeah. I think you're safe for another 40. Yeah, 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 yeah I hope so. <laughs> The sounds there of the 56A bike room, which you can find at the top of Crampton Street. Um, that's SE17, I think, or SE11. Uh, anyway, just south of Elephanton Castle. And if you have any donations of tools or parts, or as Tim said, a butcher's blind or some kind of awning so they can work in the rain without getting wet, that would be very welcome. Um, drop me a line if you've got something to offer bike show at resonancefm.com or you can find 56a on the web at 56a.org.uk well while there are quite a few of this kind of project like 56a going on in this country they're nowhere near as well established as what's going on over the channel in france i spoke to simon body who is an australian living in lyon and he told me about the volunteer workshop that's part of Lyon's Pignon sur Rue Association. The workshop's been around for 10 years. It was started by, you know, a couple of guys in a back shed, very motivated to do something for cyclists. And it's steadily grown uh, now to the point where we're 1,500 members. A lovely kind of shop on, uh, of 150 square metres that's right in the middle of Lyon. Uh, we're open till nine every night and it's full the whole time. And what goes on there? Right, well, bikes get fixed up. You, you, you become a member, and then you can come as often as you like in the year, and you come and fix up your own bike. There are uh, three uh, employee mechanics who are there to you know, help you out with advice, but they don't touch the tools. You, you, you fix your own bike. Uh, we take apart old bikes so that we've got a, a, a big stock of, of spare parts, and so you can keep old bikes on the road, whereas you'd ha- you, you, know, you, you can't otherwise because bike shops don't stock these parts anymore. How did it grow to the size that it is at now? It's been a very natural development and it's happening all over France now. Uh, Lyon and Grenoble have had big bicycle workshops for a few years, but other cities are, are, are catching up rapidly. Uh, it, I mean, as soon as people hear about it, it's a, you know, it's a viral it's a viral situation. There are thir- uh, something like 30 workshop, um, workshop associations in France now, and they're, they're growing really, really quickly. Uh, once, once people see how well it works, uh, it, 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 really, it, it really takes off. And who comes along and uses it? Who, oh, are, who are the members? Everyone, absolutely everyone. Uh, you know, it's quite young, uh, but not exclusively. Uh, there are mums, you know, there are mums there fixing up bike, bikes for their teenage kids. Uh, there are old people who, who enjoy the ambience and, you know, and, and come along. It's, it's really, it's, re- it's intergenerational, it's completely open, it's a great mix. There are, there are people there, you know, trimming their, their uh, €2,000 recumbents. Uh, there are people there fixing up bikes for absolutely nothing and everyone gets along fine. It's great. And what are the secrets, what are the key elements of a successful bike workshop project like this? Because in France now there are quite a few workshops, we can, we can say that there are, that there are lots of different recipes. Uh, Grenoble, for example, they're, they're, they don't open as much to the public as we do, 15 hours a week in Grenoble, uh, but they're, they're much more about recycling bikes. So they manage to finance themselves by uh, you know, getting old bikes often donated. Uh, uh, their, their employee mechanics will fix up old bikes and sell them, and that's how the association finances itself, and it does really well. Uh, 
because we've got a smaller premises where we've ended up and 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 much more central we're, we're much more about people fixing up their own bikes uh, so we're open 40 hours a week and that works well for us um, yeah we've, we've tended to sort of state that you know that the choice of what it, wherever you end up is uh, in terms of a premises that ends up kind of structuring your activity if you've got a really good prominent space in the middle of town like we have luckily uh, then 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 you know it becomes much more widely known and and you can you can you can be a real local workshop for people and how do you cover the rent there we're in the happy situation that the town council of Lyon Grand Lyon pays our rent but that's the only thing they pay the the the, thre- the three mechanics and everything else uh, is all paid for by the by the memberships and by the sale of uh, tires and locks and so how much does it cost to be a member it's 20 euro for students and 30 euro for uh, salaried people for a year and can you see this sort of model taking off more widely in france and more widely elsewhere in other countries well look, that's why i'm so keen to talk about it i, I mean i just think this is you know, the best thing that ever happened. Uh, cycle campaigners are all agreed that what, you know, what cyclists need is more cyclists, but there the agreement kind of ends, and it's really not clear how you, how you bring that about. Uh, you know, providing infrastructure, well, you know, that's got problems that are, that are much debated. Town bike schemes, I don't think the sustainability is at all established, uh, despite the, you know, the huge growth. Workshop associations work on all levels you know it's 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 keeping industrial heritage on the road but it's really really promoting cycling lots of our members will say that they didn't cycle before they discovered the workshop and the workshops played an important part in getting them cycling just about all the members will say that they cycle more because the workshops there and and you know and with the fact that they they practically pay for themselves there should be there should be workshops absolutely everywhere there should be three or four in every city of any size at all and is there any competition with uh, commercial workshops? Is there any bad feeling there? Well, look, glad you asked. Uh, it was something that, that people fretted about a lot at the start, particularly the, you know, the town council who was, uh, was going to supply us with this, with this lovely premises because they, they, you know, they couldn't go antagonising uh, 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 bike shops. But in fact, it's, you know, it's a really good symbiosis because bike shops as much as anything don't really want to be bothered with old bikes and people who you know don't have much money to keep them on the road you know we send customers to the bike shops the bike shops are more than happy to send people with old bikes to us uh, and 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 it, and it works out very well we're, we're all friends another really good thing about having a workshop is that cyclists who pass through town come and say hello uh, so anyone who's coming to Lyon uh, it's at 10 Rue Saint-Polycarpe right in the middle of Lyon come and say hello That was Simon Boddy of the Volunteer Workshop Association in Lyon, uh, down there in the south-east of France. Well, now it's definitely summertime. It's the month of June and the weather's looking good and the evenings are long. So it's time to do a little bit more riding. And that's my intention over the next month. And I'm going to be leading a ride to the London Stone out there on the Thames Estuary Um, the north bank of the Thames Estuary in Kent. Um, And that's a ride that is a regular ride organised by Southwark cyclists. And it's a ride that's always been led by the late, great and much lamented Barry Mason. And I've stepped in to lead this year's ride. And so I hope you'll come along. It should be fun. Um, It's an 80 mile trip, but there's an option for a train ride home from 
uh, Gravesend for anyone for whom 60 miles um, in a day is quite enough. And um, it's a, it'll be a mixed ability group. Um, there'll be some busy roads at the beginning, uh, but we'll stick together. Nobody will be dropped and it should be fun. Um, more details of that are on the Bike Show's website, www.thebikeshow.net. Thanks for listening. That's all from me. I'll be back the same time next week. Next up here on Resonance FM, it's One Life Left. <laughs>